Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome to, uh, what is it, July 12th? Who knew? I did not. July 12th, and uh, it's a Monday here. Um, it's a Monday in a lot of places. <laughs> what the hell? This isn't starting out right. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm sort of, I'm overwhelmed. I overwhelmed, as my uncle Louie used to say. I have too much stuff that I want to talk to you about. There's just so much stuff. And I guess this happens on Mondays a lot because, you know, it's been since last Thursday that I've had the opportunity to share any thoughts I might have with you. Um, Holy, what the heck? Where do I start? How about this? Uh, I should have figured this out already. Oh, I'm looking at Richard Branson's uh, smiling face. So I'll just start there for no particular reason. I did watch um, as he hurtled uh, into... just the edge of space uh, with all the, his Barnum and Bailey flair. And, and the, uh, I I guess I was watching on on CNN and the uh, reporter was just uh, so over the top about what this meant and the excitement of it and this and that. And I, I, I was, taken aback uh, by her, well, sort of lack of uh, what should be a kind of journalistic cool. But I I know when it comes to rockets lifting up and space stuff, that often uh, the reporters who cover uh, that uh, do sort of throw away any sense of, of a kind of uh, neutral observer. And and she kept saying, and I, I'm sure what she was doing was um, uh, restating essentially Richard Branson's uh, talking point, which, which was that this was so exciting because this shows that we were going to be able to democratize space. She must have said that 20 times. And I'm thinking, what the heck is she talking about? A billionaire shoots himself up into, you know, just this little demarcation line um, that doesn't pass as a demarcation line to some. It's too low. So this billionaire does that. Another billionaire is going to uh, do somewhat of the same thing in a different manner. Uh, Mr. Bezos, uh, and he will go a little higher. And how is how does billionaires you know, satisfying their childhood ambitions to uh, to be able to call themselves an astronaut. How how does that democratize space? 
And knowing that Branson already has more than 60 people, I believe, who have paid uh, him up front, uh, what is it, $200,000 to uh, have the same experience he had yesterday, which is sort of akin. I mean, I suppose at some point this will be like a, uh, one of the rides at Disneyland. And uh, the reality is that wanting to have that sense of weightlessness is exactly what you feel when you're on a roller coaster and that drop, you know, you're taking that big drop where your stomach sort of, you know, I, I don't know. I never know where my stomach goes in that situation. But that's the same kind of, you are essentially weightless then. Um, actually, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was uh, being interviewed on CNN about this, and he said that we all experience weightlessness when we're falling. I mean, if you ever <laughs> a split second before you hit the ground, that's weightlessness. Weight <laughs> Gravity is not the, I don't know, I don't understand, but democratize. Give me a break. Jeez. Yeah. So a bunch of rich people are going to be able to go into space, and that democratizes it. Just nonsense. There, I got that off my chest, and I can put his smiling face away. I interviewed him once, uh, God, a long time ago, um, maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago or so. Um, he wasn't in the same room with me it was a satellite interview so he was he was doing what he does he's a you know pt barnum type he was selling something and he was doing rounds of satellite interviews with various reporters all all over the country um and uh, i was one of them he was very charming and very much a uh a promoter so he done did it yesterday, but democratize space? I don't think so. Update. I had a guest on maybe three, four weeks ago uh, who lives in Churchill, a suburb of Pittsburgh to, um, to our east. And uh, she was part of a, a group of Churchill residents doing a David and Goliath fight with Walmart or what was understood to be Walmart. It was actually, uh, uh, what's his name? Perot, H Ross Perot's uh, company out of Texas who was fronting for uh, Walmart uh, in an effort to have a huge distribution facility for Amazon. Walmart. Why am I saying Walmart? Yeah. Walmart was my first bugaboo, uh, but it's given way to uh, Amazon. So this they, they were doing this for Amazon. So Amazon could have this huge uh, facility in Churchill. And um, I just want to give you an update. I have two stories I want to update. The update on the Churchill story is the 
that David has won uh, the first round, which is amazing since I, my understanding was that a lot of people, uh, especially in the borough government, were ready to sign off on this. And what happened instead is that uh, Perot's group, which had been seeking uh, $10 million from state taxpayers. This is a part of it that really made me crazy. You know, we're dealing with what? Again, billionaires, Perot, Bezos again, Amazon, and they're, uh, you know, always come dangling job opportunities. And yet they, they hold states and communities hostage so that they get, you know, tax relief. So that the citizens of the area end up, and, and in this case, they were going after a $10 million uh, grant from, from the state. Uh, intended for uh, development assistance. Now, it strikes me that there's something not right about uh, Amazon uh, getting assistance. Just saying. And what happened, astonishingly, is that the uh, Perot group, who's been fronting for Amazon, uh, decided to pull out, withdrew their application for the 10 mil. Now that's interesting. It doesn't mean this is over, but uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, they want to build this thing where the Westinghouse, uh, old Westinghouse facility was, which you see when you're on, uh, on 376, when you're on the Parkway East. And they were intending to build a facility on that somewhat bucolic piece of property, twice the size of the Monroeville Mall. Um, what is it? Over a million square feet? It's just, it's, it, it's huge. And this in a residential neighborhood, it's insane. Anyway, uh, I don't know what that means, but, uh, the opponents of this project are, uh, are feeling relief. And I, as a taxpayer of the state of Pennsylvania, I'm feeling relief. I don't know why the 10 mil probably go to some other bunch of rich developers. It's amazing how our government, state, local, federal are always so generous with people who already have so much. And they always talk about, well, the cost of things, we can't afford that when it has to do with something that would, benefit all, you know, like universal health care. The other uh, update is, I. this is an update of an update. You will recall after January 6th that a number of corporations wanting to show how woke they were uh, 
said that they would not give any campaign contributions to any members of Congress who had um, who had voted not to uh, not to uh, give uh, Jesus what is it certify the election. Excuse me, that was that was me channeling Myron Cope for a second there. Um, and, and, you know, that was welcome. Toyota was, was one who had said that. And then, um, uh, someone in the journalistic racket making, you know, doing journalistic stuff, uh, discovered that Toyota, uh, was quietly now giving money, (laughs) tens of thousands of dollars to these Republican members of Congress uh, who, in fact, were touting the big lie, even after the rioters had barely left the Capitol. So I pointed that out to you. I told you that Toyota put out some repulsive statement about how you know, we uh, we need to keep uh, good relations with people uh, in positions of power who uh, impact uh, the auto industry. <laughs> Everybody does this. So the rest of the story now is <clears throat> that late last week, Toyota said, uh, okay, we're woke again. Uh, we decided we are not going to um, uh, donate to Republicans who uh, who disputed the 2020 presidential election results. And where did this? I mean, they must be dizzy over there. They're they're doing so many 180s. It's a joke. The reason they did this one is because this group founded by anti-Trump Republicans, the the Lincoln Project, you've probably seen some of their uh, videos, uh, was threatening to go after Toyota. They actually came up with one of their, you know, pretty eviscerating ads, and they were going to start running it, showing Toyota uh, to be the hypocrites that they are. Um Those blowers, somebody's blowing stuff. There's nothing there to blow. God, in the fall, maybe. In the spring, with a lot of seeds on the ground and leaves. I can get whatever. Jesus, eat those things. Anyway, um, so there's that. Uh, <clears throat> those are like two two things where uh, the little guys made the big guys blink. But that's probably all. Uh, Bob and Braddock says he's assuming I'm not watching the NBA Finals. Why would you think that? I am watching. I had a, a lot of trouble watching the first two games, but last night's game I really enjoyed because the Milwaukee Bucks are back in. Um, 
oh, well, this is interesting. Bob is saying, I take it you're not watching this year's NBA Finals in spite of the teams being pretty interesting, not just in terms of the stars of those teams. Yeah. Giannis, unpronounceable last name of the Bucks and uh, and Chris Paul of the Suns, the Phoenix Suns. But Bob's saying, but maybe I wouldn't watch because, as he says, Milwaukee is the most or among the most racist cities in the country. And the Suns, uh, well, they represent Phoenix, the state capital of Arizona, that uh, <laughs> speaking of the big lie and the uh, 2020 election is front and center. No, I can't. No. Uh, um, <clears throat> the Bucks have been an extremely progressive um politically organization and have have i think um <clears throat> helped uh milwaukee uh see its racist ways not that they've changed it's just the bucks ain't having it um and i've read many many stories about that but speaking of listen Speaking of that, I mean, one of the things, you know, a team does, and this is what sports is so good for, what a team does, let's say, in Milwaukee, is bring together the community, and that would mean blacks and whites, right? They're pulling for their butt. And in Arizona, Democrats and Republicans pulling for the Suns. This is one of the good things and can give uh, beleaguered population some respite from the always contentious uh, quality of our current environment, whether it has to do with politics or sports or whatever. We are ready to fight all the time. So, no, I am watching. But speaking of racism, oh, and I, I have to tell you, I watched the game uh, with friends, and I pointed out every time they had a shot of the crowd in Milwaukee, I never saw a black person. All the black people, of course, were on the court. And they were performing for a bunch of white people. Look to me. And I noted that. And uh, what else is new? Huh? I watched a lot of sports. I watched the uh, the Euro Soccer Championship. I and I'm not a big soccer fan. I watched it, um, kinda, because I find it dull. <laughs> I really do. Until the way it ended with this shootout. It ended with a shootout where they do these, you know, one-on-one penalty shots. And when that was over, the Brits had lost and Italy had had won. Now, 
Unfortunately, I noted something racial there too, as did the friend I was watching the Bucks with. He said, did you notice that the three British players that missed their shots were all black? The ones that got the shots in the net were white. And I immediately said, well, that's going to, you know, soccer fans in soccer fans in Europe are not good examples of humanity a lot of the time. And I felt the same when I realized, you know, those three black young men are going to be, I mean, just pilloried. And they're going to be on the receiving end of some awful racism. And don't you know, Washington Post reporting this morning, big shock, that those three extraordinary athletes who would be heroes to the same people who are apparently uh, just barraging them with racist vitriol. Um, so much so that the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, spoke out. He said, this England team deserved to be lauded as heroes, not racially abused. Those responsible for this appalling abuse should be ashamed of themselves. Prince William, who was there, and who is the president of the England Football Association, uh, found it necessary to tweet that he was sickened. Yeah. So, there you go. Sport has the potential to bring people together and has the potential to unleash the worst in us. <laughs> My Lord. Okay, so that's, I'm not even anywhere close to talking about what I wanted to talk about today. Why is that? Dang it. Oh, the best thing that happened uh, since last we spoke. The spelling bee winner. Good heavens, what a remarkable human being is that? My Lord, is she superhuman? She's, I mean, let's just elect her president of the United States the minute she becomes uh, uh, available, uh, as soon as she grows uh, old enough for it. Uh, because she's got to be one of the smartest human beings in the world. I'm not trying to pronounce her name. Zayla, Zayla Avant-Garde. 
gosh. Her father changed her last name to Avant Garde to honor John Coltrane. <laughs> and um, he's the one who got her uh, interested in spelling because he was watching the spelling bee once with her when she was uh, a kid. Well, she's still a kid. She was, what, 10? She was 10. And um, he asked her if she could spell uh, Maricade, which I guess was the winning word that year or something. And, you know, without blinking, this 10-year-old spelled it. And then he did a quick little uh, Google, and he asked her to spell the winning words going all the way back to 1999. Ten years old. Hadn't been studying for a spelling bee. She missed a few. But generally, she spelled them all correctly. No, she did not. She missed a few. And these spelling kids, you know, they work at this. They, um, they do this for years. She just entered her first B two years ago. And then just started cleaning up. And she says it's not the thing she's most into. She's into basketball. And she already holds, as I'm sure you know by now, three Guinness World Records. I don't know, something about dribbling ball simultaneously or the quickest bounces or who the heck knows. She wants to be in the WNBA. She also, by the way, can divide five-digit numbers by two-digit numbers in her head. So, in other words, if you say to her, okay, what's uh, 27,622 divided by 75? Bang, she'll give you the answer. Just bang like that. And when someone said, well, how what the heck? How do you do that? She says, I don't know. <laughs> it's like asking a millipede how they walk. I don't know. Now, you know, when someone is that bright, they often are, you know, I'm thinking of Rain Man. Uh, the Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise movie, they're often um, on the spectrum, right? Their brains just work in mysterious ways. This kid is not on the spectrum. She is not an, uh, you know, an idiot savant. She is not, I mean, she's a, it's, she might, I mean, I don't understand. I mean, you know, usually they say, you know, you're okay, so you're She's just brilliant. Her brain must be just about one of the greatest brains in the universe. And then on top of it, she is physically extraordinary and capable. 
And I've seen her interviewed. So I can tell she's charming. She's funny. How in the name? I just, I'm, 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 I'm in awe of her. I'm in awe of her. Wow. God bless her. So she gets 50000 And colleges are already uh, tripping all over themselves, offering her free rides. Come here. Come here. <laughs> right now. You'll be the smartest person on campus. God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Bree, you've written me a long thing here. Years ago, he says, I used to show a video of the chairman without a desk about Richard Branson. I would show this. He's, he's a teacher to my classes. It was a news feature report that highlighted Branson's rise selling records, Virgin Records. That was the, that was the first thing, right? And then Bree says, for a long time, I admired him. I saw a little bit of myself in him as I, too, once ran a record label. You did? He was such an interesting guy, or at least his PR machine had me believing that. Oh, I can see where this is going. With the benefit of time, I've come to admire him less. He has a lot of good press over the years, and he even had a TV show at one point. But there was one story that kind of soured his reputation for me. The story was how Branson was starting a fund to help some less fortunate people on an island that had been hit by a hurricane. Oh, that's his island, right? Well, I don't know. I looked into it. These people were native to the region, and the island was one which Branson either owned, yeah, or on which he had a huge personal villa. I recall the Clintons, or was it the Obamas? Which one? Maybe both. Um, I think it was the Obamas after uh, they got out of the White House, uh, went there to relax. Excuse me, I just needed some water. Okay, so you're saying he got a lot of publicity for helping these poor people on the island when you're saying he owned the damn island or practically did. And these people were essentially, you know, his responsibility. They only existed on that island to work for him. And while he lived in a palace, these folks' houses by the water were all shacks and had fallen down in the storm. My thought was that he could have single-handedly rebuilt all of their housing and brought it up to some semblance of uh, normalcy on his own. After all, it was his island. So why was he in the media pleading with others to send money? So, yeah, I tend to agree with you that his trip to space is larger than missing the zeitgeist by some 56 miles. I don't think it's that much. Like about 10, isn't it, where he would cross that um, the boundary that is recognized by most as space. Anyway. Three says, on another note, I no longer see the other big record execs, uh, Davis, Geffen. I just read something about Geffen. He was underwriting something. 
I don't know. Clyde Davis? He's still alive? God. Uh, I see them as having largely exploited the talents of others. Yes, well, of course, but that was their genius. <laughs> Recognizing talent. That's what agents do. That's what people who own sports teams do. That's what pretty much a lot of people do for a living. They exploit the talents of others. Right? I'm just saying it seems that way. Michael says, thank you, Lynn. I tried to get excited about the space launch, but it just struck me as bungee jumping for the ultra rich. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Yeah. It is not the democratization of space travel. Someone tell that reporter for CNN that just, you know, Rip. God almighty. Okay, so I am gonna I got so much to talk about here, but I can't I just can't. I, I, I'm not gonna get to it all. I'm not gonna get close to it all. Dang it. So let me let me share with you two stories, both of which scared the hell out of me. <laughs> okay. Just just need to do this. Um want to check to make sure I've not been good at checking if you guys have been calling. I'm definitely no good at that. Um, but it appears you haven't. Okay. Um, Michelle Goldberg, smart cookie, writes opinion pieces. She, she noted something that I had seen a little, uh, you know, news, about, which was that the um, supposedly moribund, old Christian uh, mainline mainline Protestant, you know, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, that, you know, we, they've been pronounced sort of dead and or dying with the rise of uh, the evangelists. And she pointed out this little bit I had seen and then embellished upon it. Um, it turns out that someone keeps tabs on how people, you know, define themselves religiously. And the most recent uh, polling, which was a survey of, I mean, it's a big one, half a million people are queried. Um, it shows that the religious right has actually lost uh, ground. According to her piece, which made me feel happy, um, it was a precipitous decline in the share of the American population identifying as white evangelical. It had been 23% in 2006, 23% of America. And in this last poll, 
that was cut to 14 and a half. And I'm thinking, how's that possible? They, they have such a loud voice <laughs> and so much power. And it showed that mainline Protestants uh, actually outnumbered now white evangelicals. It also said white evangelicals were the oldest religious group in the U.S. Median age, 56. This is all good news. And then the people who did the poll said it's not just that they're dying off, but it's that they're losing younger members. And here's where the story turns, because she says, this is part of what's fueling this sort of desperate need to make this country a Christian nation. They feel like they're losing their cultural domination and they're freaking out which makes them a lot more, when people are freaking out like that, they become easy pickings for conspiracy theories. And so it's not unusual that so many of these same people are also now totally bought in to QAnon. Because QAnon is somewhat, well, here, I'll let this guy talk. The, um, he heads the Public Religion Research Institute who does these polls. He says, you know, if you look at QAnon, he says, it's not unlike a belief in the second coming of Christ. The belief that at some point God is going to reorder society and set things right. And I mean, and QAnon believes that Donald Trump is, of course, the, the stand-in for Jesus. You can't get more insane than that. And so it is true that when a community feels itself threatened, uh, it becomes a lot more successful susceptible to conspiracy theories and other things that tell them that don't worry, don't worry, it's not what's going to happen. This will be made right. That's what the people who went into the Capitol at, 20, 20, uh, at, at uh, January 6th. We're trying to do. That's what the idiots in Arizona, still combing through a ballot, are trying to do. They are trying to set this right. And the reason that the Republicans are glomming on to critical race theory, which of course is just a bugaboo they've made up pretty much, is because this incites their base. In fact, this same uh, group, Public Religion Research Institute, pointed out that it was unprecedented that 
immediately after Trump issued an executive order targeting critical race theory, the presidents of all six seminaries of the Southern Baptist Convention put out a joint letter denouncing critical race theory and calling it incompatible with the Baptist faith. That had never been done before. And what is interesting, and here's what this man, Robert Jones, who heads this public religion, said, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention was created in 1845. I mentioned this last week. was created in 1845 because it split with the Northern Baptists who were abolitionists. And the Southern Baptists sure as hell weren't. And he said, just think of this remarkable arc that the Southern Baptist history tells us now. This is a denomination founded on the defense of slavery. And in 2020, denouncing the critical take of history, American history, that might put a spotlight on their origin story. Boy, there's a lot of people running from the truth here. Anyway, Michelle Goldberg finishes this piece in the same saying exactly how I felt reading it. She, she said, I was frightened by the religious right when it was in its triumphant phase. Think of the, you know, Tea Party, Falwell, all of that. And then they gain power and more power and more power. But it turns out, she says, that this movement is just as dangerous in decline, maybe more so. Dave says, uh, Branson went over 55 miles up the other day. Yeah, but there is this this line, I think it was, I think that 62 and a half miles up, where you're really above, I don't know. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson wasn't really sure that at 55, um, you could even uh, really see the curvature of the earth. I don't listen. I don't know. I don't really care. This is not the kind of thing I care. Um, he started Virgin Records because his friend, Mike Oldfield, wanted to record an al- album that no company was interested in, but Branson wanted to hear it. So he rented the studio, recorded it, put it out under the Virgin Records label that was created specifically to release that album. The album was called Tubular Bells, and part of it became the theme song to the movie The Exorcist. Jeez. The album sold millions of copies, Branson made millions of dollars, and that was the seed money for everything that came after. Okay. I did not know that. What? What? 
Oh, wow. Pretty much almost all the writers at, uh, at City Paper have, uh, have been nominated for uh, the AAN Awards, are those for alternative, uh, alternative uh, weeklies, right? What's AAN stand for? You know, you could tell me. Alternative news media. Okay. Yeah. So good, good for you. Those are that's a national award, and uh, all the more reason to support City Paper, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, great, good. Pretty much the whole editorial team. Fantastic, including our Ryan Dito, who uh, who you know. And I was thinking, gotta have him on uh, soon. Uh, and what else? I've got a, uh, I'm sorry. What was that? I have a caller. Is that what somebody's trying to tell me? Uh, caller, go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, this is kind of off what you're talking about, but it's kind of like Branson. I, I care what he does, but I don't know if you're like this, but aren't you getting tired of this celebrity culture where they want to oh, show their the toned best. abs and yeah. their rear ends and how good they look in a bikini? I could friggin' care less. Well, it's going to get worse. It's and getting worse. As small as them need to get a life. I, really, I mean, enough is yeah. enough. And <laughs> me being the former guitar player, not to say I'm the best out of I could play. Some of these people are just not even that good. They were, you could you could pick their stuff up in like ten minutes. I mean it's it's that lousy, but it it sounds good and it keeps people moving and everything. But it's just amazing that uh, they're making the money they're making. I just I can't get over it. But that's the way America is. It's always been that way. So. But and I'm not jealous of them. I just I get just tired of hearing them, and I got to change my. Uh, web page to go to the something news, but now you don't even have news. It's it's either that celebrity news combined with all. Yeah. It's hard to like narrow yeah. it down to. Yeah, you were talking about Michelle Goldberg. She's she's great to read her articles. She's right on the money yeah. on everything. I like her. But uh, a smart cookie. Yes. Yeah, yeah so I'm with you. Thank you. Totally okay, thank agree. you. Yep. Bye. Yeah. Bye. You better tune out. Do a Timothy Leary. <laughs> tune out, drop out, because there's no getting away from that. So anyway, after I read that Michelle Goldberg piece, I read a piece in the Washington Post today. First thing I read when I woke up, bad, bad, bad mistake. It is a very long piece, and I absolutely suggest you read it. As a matter of fact, I need to put this up on my Facebook page, uh, Zach. Okay? It's called, it's Washington Post Today, National Section, An American Kingdom. And this scared the bejeebers out of me. And it's about those evangelicals. And the sort of intersection with the kind of QAnonish stuff, and uh, these 
it says, I mean, it says a new and rapidly growing Christian movement is openly political, wants a nation under God's authority, and is central to Donald Trump's GOP. So this doesn't exactly dovetail with the Southern Baptists going down or the evangelical whites getting old and the young people leaving. So I'm, I'm unclear about this, but this is about this group, and it's growing, of these huge mega churches that have three different services on Sundays, because, and they, each one filled up seating 1,500 people. So you've got these ministers who are now just, they're friggin' rabble-rousers. And the church doesn't look like any church you've ever seen. These churches, and a lot of these mega churches have already done this. They put on a show. And I can see why people would rather go to a show than go to church. You know, church, that old mainstream kind of worship, that was more contemplative and everybody sung together and you spoke together and all of that. No, these places put on, here's what's on the altar, what would have been an altar. It isn't anymore. There are no crosses. There are no stained glass windows. There is a band. There's a drum set, keyboards, and there are three bass players, and they got singers and dancers. And there are five or six cameras, and there are spotlights beyond belief. And then there's a huge screen. They put, the pastor is like an empresario comes on and cues, you know, this astonishing uh, visual, and then this acoustic. When people come in, they are offered uh, uh, earplugs. Mm -hmm. I'll read just part of it. This is the scariest um, this is this growing Christian movement that is supposedly non-denominational. So this is not Southern Baptist. This is not any, these are, these so-called churches are, they're cultish and they're openly political. And they have become like the major engine of Donald Trump's Republican party. Uh, let me, um, if, if it has a name, it is being called the New Apostolic Reformation or N-A-R. This is so unsettling. Now, the pastor of this particular church that they uh, that this is a story about uh, is a guy named Landon Schott. 
And, you know, he regularly talks to God. And he, God tells him all kinds of stuff. And God pretty much told him, you start up this church. It now has nine branches, weekly attendance in the tens of thousands. This guy has power. And they run political candidates and get behind him. Okay, so let me, I just want to read. It's so well written. Um, the reporter was there from beginning to end. Um, I'll just give you a, a few little bits. The sound technician prayed over the board, controlling stacks of uh, professional speakers. The lighting technician asked the Lord to guide uh, 24 spotlights. Uh, Pacing up and down the aisles were the ushers, the parking attendants, the security guards, the greeters, the camera operators, the dancers, the intercessors, all of them praying, whispering, speaking in tongues. This is before the congregation comes in, inviting into the room what they believe to be the Holy Spirit, and not in any metaphorical sense, because theirs is the spirit of a totally knowable God who sits down with you, talks to you. And they go into, actually are taken into their bodies. Some people spoke of tasting God as he entered their body. Others said they felt it. Others claimed to see it, golden auras, or gold dust, or feathers, or, or angels drifting down. Okay. So then the people come in. Um and let me get to the part. Okay. Cameras one, two, three, four, and five in position. The live stream on standby. In the front row, the 85-year-old retired pastor secured his earplugs. And what happened next was 40 nonstop minutes of swelling, blasting, drum-pounding music, at times so loud that chairs and walls seemed to vibrate. The huge screen became a video of swirling clouds and a black galaxy of spinning stars. The spotlights went from blue to amber to gold to white. A camera slid back and forth on a dolly. Fog, fog spilled onto the stage. Modern dancers raced around waving flags, one song melded into the next, rising and falling and rising again into extended mantra-like choruses about surrender. Few rows back, the pastor stood with one hand raised and the other holding a coffee cup. And when the last song faded, a worship team member walked on stage to explain what was happening. The Holy Spirit is in the room. And then the preaching begins. And it's all about America is in the battle of its life 
between the forces of God and Satan. And guess who the forces of Satan are? You! You! Me! And so the pastor is saying, beware of the seductive, political, demonic, power-hungry spirit that uses witchcraft to control God's people. Beware of freedom that is actually just rebellion against God. Beware of rogue leaders, I guess, like Joe Biden. Beware of a world that preaches toleration of things God doesn't tolerate. And I got to tell you, this goes on and on. They fill this place up three times every Sunday and go through. I mean, they're working. But they're scary. And they send their people out into the city to openly try to talk to people. And it is creepy. It is so creepy. They're really into, they're raising a lot of money. This is in Fort Worth. They are raising a lot of money to build housing for what they call the victims of of sex trafficking, which is just this QAnon thing. And those sex traffickers are like, you know, you know, the Dalai Lama, Hillary Clinton. And it's. Oh, dear. So, I really, we have to post this. Please read it. It is a long read, but it is, I think, mesmerizing and scary as holy hell. And these people are all over the country. They're in every town now. And they even have, you know, they have publishing companies, they have TV shows, they have their prayer networks, they got podcasts, they've got, uh, they're selling, you know, bumper stickers and t-shirts. And this is, I just have to say, if Jesus, (laughs) if Jesus were to be able to see what's being done in his name. Oh, my. Pardon the pun. God. Unbelievable. So. I really, um, I think uh, I think things are scarier than ever. They really do. Um, did you see that CPAC had another convention? I saw two things from it. First of all, what's her name? Uh, Jenner. Uh, the I don't know. I can't remember the name she took when she became a trans woman. I'm remembering Bruce Jenner, but that's not her name now. And she she showed up at CPAC, and and there's a video of her being like hounded. 
she's running. She's a Republican. How a trans woman could be a Republican, I don't know. But, and people are like coming after her and calling her tranny and started, Bruce, Bruce, how can you, you know, it just, it was horrific. I also understand that when some speaker at CPAC told the the gang of uh, Trump, Trumpistas there that uh, Biden had so failed to get the vaccination, uh, you know, goal that he had sought. And they cheered. They cheered about vaccinations not being gotten. Someone showed it to Fauci and he, he, he got like practically sick. These are some scary people. And they have all these operational, institutional networks now. And they're true believers. And they're scary as holy hell. And our side, our side, we don't have any of that. Because we're just made up of individuals. (laughs) People who think every once in a while for themselves. People who play by the rules. People who do believe in toleration. I'm scared to death we're going to get our clocks cleaned by these zealots. They're scary. All right, that's it. That That was me just depressing the hell out of you for the day. If you need more, Come back tomorrow. I'll have more stuff, believe me. Um, And I'll have my sister Susan with me. So if I'm not up to depressing the hell out of you, maybe she could. Okay? Have a good one. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.